spirituality, consciousness, health, and mindset. Welcome to the Ascend Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Chris Hopper. And I'm Dan Harrison. Together, we are all wisdom and knowledge. Hey, what is up everyone? This week on the Send Podcast, we have a very interesting conversation to say the least with researcher Aubrey DeGray. Aubrey is passionate about creating an existence for mankind which will cure the disease of aging. Yes, that's right, a disease. A very different way to look at the process of aging. Aubrey argues that aging is merely a disease and a curable one. Aubrey challenges the most basic assumption underlying the human condition that aging is certain. He argues instead that aging is a disease and one that can be cured if its approach is an engineering problem. He proposes that the first human beings who will live to a thousand years old have already been born. Interesting stuff. This is obviously a very big conversation and in my opinion will certainly work towards the basis of transforming what it actually means to be human. And as you guys know by now, me and Chris like to really delve deep and ask the questions that others won't. In this podcast, there are certainly a lot of practical questions that needed raised, but also there was many philosophical questions that we wanted to raise as well. It seems to be that us as humans have always been on the quest for immortality. The Egyptians, the Mayans and many other cultures were talking about and on the quest to transcend these biological shackles that limit us. It's very interesting because when you actually think about it, we are a creature that can ponder the infinite, ponder the origins of this existence, but ultimately at the same time, every single time that we look at ourselves in the mirror, we notice this decaying meat suit. The human experience is absolutely crazy. And with the process of death, there's definitely this deep sadness deep inside of me that one day everything may go to nothingness, but there's also this beauty as well. And I've really been thinking about the concept of immortality, and I must admit, definitely excites us. However, there's also understanding within myself asking the question, is death an act- a process and a part of the game that we must honour? Because if we actually look at the universe, the universe is constantly on a never-ending cycle of death, but it's also on a never-ending cycle of birth as well. As we are born, something else dies. The universe is constantly decaying, and dying and it's also brightening and being born as well and I've been thinking a lot lately about the concept of impermanence is the universe in the nature of the game set up so that we have to cherish moments we have if we actually have too many moments would this game be as special is death just an evolutionary design is death just a human concept what if we create new rules We are now actually on the verge of creating new technology, which you all know, that will allow us to change the rules of life. But what will happen if there's no more death, no more disease? Very interesting and deep conversations that need to be talked about. And as you will see in this podcast, we had quite a few disagreements on certain areas with Aubrey, which is always good as it mixes up the conversation and also makes you think about certain areas and sides of a topic that you might just not have thought about. So... This episode and every episode from now on is brought to you by you. So you can now go to our Patreon page 
and choose one of the cool reward tiers and support the podcast. And if you don't know what Patreon is, Patreon supports the podcast directly and you can also get to receive some really cool rewards in the process. Currently we have five tiers of rewards set up for you guys. We have reward tiers called Hidden Citizens, Pursuit of Knowledge, Seeker, Awakened Mind, Enlightened Ones and the Paradigm Shift and each tier has lots of different fun rewards. You might get a cool binaural beat, a guided meditation every month or why not be a part of our brand new Ascend Conscious Hub where you get access to other Awakened Minds including me and Chris and guests from the podcast and we're also doing live videos, group discussions, bonus content and every Thursday after each episode we'll be having a group discussion about this week's podcast and why not even be a part of something epic the Ascend Community Podcast where you get to come on the podcast and have your say on the podcast and be heard by millions and all this is extremely simple all you need to do is go to the Send Podcast website and click on the Patreon page and click the Patreon link Patreon gives you the people the power to come together and decide is this a conscious idea so anyway, without further ado, let's jump into this conversation. Enjoy. How's it going? Are you okay? Good. Are you well? Good. Certainly am. And you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we're really good, yeah. We're, Aubrey, we're really looking forward to having a, a conversation uh, with you because we've been actually trying to get you on the podcast for a while now and sort of digging into your mind and digging into the quest of like sort of like living forever and aging and things because re- it is a really very fascinating uh, topic that does need to be like talked about further. Yeah, it certainly is. And actually Newcastle is one of the most important centres in the UK for the research in this area. So wow. it's a lot of local interest too. That's interesting. We didn't, we didn't know that, did yeah, we? Yeah, certainly not. It's really interesting because it, like obviously we're, before we underwent this podcast, I was actually thinking in my head it seems to be that... Um, us as humans, we've always been on this like quest for immortality. I mean, even if just like the Egyptians, the Greeks, and many other cultures are all thinking about this, this um, quest to like transcend like the like these biological shackles that limit us. And I was actually wondering, like, where did you where did you like sort of find? Why did you like find such an importance to try and figure out and unshackle like these biological shackles that limit us? Yes, the, 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 the I, so of course people ask me this question all the time, and the real reaction I have is it's crazy that anyone would ask the question because what's crazy is that everyone doesn't think that way because the fact is you know aging is obviously the world's biggest problem it's obviously the source of the largest amount of suffering that humanity has to endure in terms of not only the fact that it kills so many people but the enormous amount of disease and disability and dependence and general misery that goes on before it kills us. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's, it's crazy, really, that we don't think this way. And I believe that the only reason we don't think this way is that we are so, um, you know, that we, we need to find some way of putting it out of our minds in order to get on with our miserably short lives and, you know, make the best of it, um, rather than being preoccupied by this terrible thing that's going to happen to us in the distant future. Yeah, it's interesting that because I actually thought about this. It's really, it's really interesting because it seems to be that we're, we're these, like, creatures that can ponder, like, the infinite in our minds and, like, ponder the origins of, like, this physical existence. 
But ultimately, at the same time, every time we look in the mirror, we actually notice that this like meat suit is decaying, and that's really interesting because if you think about that, the human experience—it's just it is a—it's a whole complete crazy experience. And there, there is when I do think about it, actually, there is this like deep um, sadness deep within that one day everything may go to nothingness. But I think as well, there's also beauty in that as well. But there's still that deep impulse, like inside of us, want to live forever. Yeah, I mean, I think um, we need to be clear about what the impulse really is. I'm not sure that the impulse is really about longevity itself. I think the impulse is just to avoid getting sick. People do not enjoy the, 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 the gradual loss of physiological capacity, whether it's mental or physical. And uh, you know, that's really what this is all about. I don't really think in terms of longevity at all. I just think in terms of the fact that I'm not, I'm not happy that people get Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not happy that people get cancer and so on. And the, the longevity is kind of a side effect. Yeah, it's, 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 um, it's very interesting because it really, taking a problem on a grand scale like lo the longevity of the human race, and actually improving people's lifespans from like say 110 to a thousand years old that's that's fascinating and complex but even just starting to actually just curing alzheimer's or curing like these aging diseases that is the true step in which we have to take these forward like it's a very small process very small steps that we need to do on a constant daily basis exactly exactly did you actually set out for just um to cure Alzheimer's or did you actually want to experience more did you always felt driven to be taken on on like these thousand years like journey in, in people's you know what people would actually oh. want to do well um yes and no uh the certainly the first thing in my mind when I decided to uh switch fields because I was originally not a biologist at all I was originally a computer scientist um was was the acknowledgement that you can't cure a disease of old, of old age, like Alzheimer's or atherosclerosis or whatever, in the same way that you can cure an infection. You can't just eliminate it from the body because the fact is it's a side effect of being alive. It's a side effect of the normal operation of the human body. Therefore, you can't treat any of the diseases and disabilities of old age in isolation. You have to look at the whole picture because it's so interconnected. So I immediately recognized that the um, bulk of the effort that humanity engages in to keep people healthy in old age is simply misguided. It's, um, it, it's based on, this, uh, on the false assumption that you can genuinely cure the diseases of old age in the same way that you would cure an infection. Now, this was not in any way an original thought. This is something that really underpins the whole field of gerontology, the study of the biology of aging. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, it was definitely a driving force to, uh, to, to, to push this forward. Now, as I say, in terms of longevity, that was never my driver. It was obvious to me that if we could actually do the job, if we could completely eliminate the accumulation of damage in the body and thereby the um, decline in physiological performance, then lifespans would become indefinite and that would lead to very large numbers in terms of average longevity simply because people don't die very often from causes that are not related to their age. You know, people just don't get hit by trucks very often. Um, 
so, so but, but again, I always treated that as a side effect. I didn't really, early on, I didn't really emphasize that very much in my lectures and such like, um, simply because it was obvious and it didn't seem to be very important. These days I emphasize it in order to ensure that people don't get the wrong impression that I'm all about uh, living forever for the sake of living forever or anything like that. that in fact, I'm doing medical research like any other medical researcher. Yeah, I, I, I completely understand what you mean. And, but before as well, when you said, um, the like when I was explaining, I said that, you, that the impulse like in me could be sort of like, it seems to me that I want to live forever. It's interesting because you said obviously the impulse could be just to like sort of like affect, uh, sorry, alter, alter diseases and cure diseases like cancer and things like that. But it's interesting to me because there is something deep within me like sort of seeing that I do want to live ever but on the other hand as well I'm also very aware of, of like the landscape itself of the human vessel that we're like that we actually walking around in because there's all these different operations that's going on in our body and they're actually all firing wiring together and obviously if you do think about with all these processes are not completely understood but when you're actually talking about aging it seems to me that like aging could be one of the biggest puzzles that could actually take ages and i was actually thinking are we actually going to get to a point where we're going to actually understand all them processes that work towards that so this is actually a really important point and it really underpins the um direction that my work has gone over the past 15 or 16 years the the, the really um, important kind of eureka moment that i had about 16 17 years ago now uh, that has underpinned all the work that Sense Research Foundation does was to understand that actually we do not need to have a particularly detailed understanding and knowledge of how the body works in order to achieve the objective of keeping physiological performance at. The reason we don't is because the human body is a machine, obviously an incredibly complicated machine, but still a machine. And as such, that means that its function, its performance, is determined by its structure, by what it's made of at the molecular and cellular level. So that means that if we can characterize the, the changes that the body does to itself, colloquially we, we could just say the damage that the body accumulates as a, in the course of its normal operation, as a side effect of its normal operation, if we can just determine what that damage is, then we have the opportunity to repair the damage, to restore the structure and composition of the body to something like how it was at an earlier age. And if we can do that, then we are effectively sidestepping all of our ignorance. We don't actually need to have a particularly detailed understanding of how the body generates this damage in the first place. And we don't even need to have a particularly detailed understanding of how that damage translates into decline in physiological function. We just need to know what the damage is. If we're doing that, then, as I say, we sidestep our ignorance. We can effectively let the body do what it was evolved to do, uh, including the creation of damage, but we intercede and we, we stop the damage from reaching the level of abundance that is bad for us. Mm. I think you're absolutely right, um, Aubrey, and the body is this like incredible machine. It's very unique and each one of us is like will need this type of therapy like um if we actually want to go on to this process of longevity and but are we talking like in the same sense as like um is our cells just going to reconstruct into the into the healthy cells that they once were is that how the pretty process would sorry pretty much yes i mean um one thing that we have on our side in this in this quest 
is that the body already has a huge arsenal of automatic built-in self-repair machinery, machinery that eliminates damage as it's being created. So the damage that does accumulate throughout life really accumulates only because of, if you like, small gaps, small um, um, omissions in that arsenal, that, 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 that panel of automatic self-repair machinery that we already have. So what, what our goal really is, is simply to fill in those gaps to complete the job. Mm. And I think that's, that's going to be amazing as well. I mean, it's like we're taking the body back to its original state of being a, this healing machine once again. And I think that's beautiful. And that, it also makes me wonder as well, Aubrey, like if we're, if we're constantly healing and the population and everything does eventually grow, would, would there be any side effects or any problems related to that? Oh, well, sure. I mean, this would be a massive, you know, seismic change in the nature of humanity. And so, of course, yes, there would be consequences in terms of the optimum way in which we organize society. Um, you know, we've been there before with, for example, the Industrial Revolution. There was plenty of, you know, turbulence and um, adjustment that happened as a result. But, of course, it was worth it. You know, not a lot of people around would say that the Industrial Revolution was a bad idea. So, um, you know, we, we obviously, the, 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 the more effectively we can anticipate and plan for these changes in society, the better. But the absolutely imperative thing is that we should not let, us get, let ourselves get in some way scared of those changes and thereby slow down the rate at which we develop therapies that can stop people from getting Alzheimer's disease and so on. Yeah, so it's like the process needs to happen really for the future generations, not just to us today, but the future generations need this. And I, I think absolutely, that's, I think that's. that's but I'm, I'm holding out for us. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's something else, Aubrey, that I was that I was thinking about, and I was thinking about this today is, um, I was thinking that like society right now, it's actually built on this idea of um, retirement, and it gives people like this sense of purpose, like. People who don't have purpose and they're just working these nine to five jobs, retirement to them is a purpose. They always think, oh, well, when I retire, I'm going to do this. When I retire, I'm going to do that. And I believe like a lot of people who are uneducated in like themselves and they're uneducated on purpose and they live this like the day-to-day existence couldn't handle the opportunity of living to a thousand years old because mm-hmm. they're just too busy used to living to these, oh, I'm only going to be only 10 more years, only 20 more years and then I'm retire. But that on a grand yeah. scale of like oh sorry continue yeah i think you're right but i think the answer to it is a little different from what you may be thinking the real thing that we have to remember always when we look into the future and more than even a couple of years ahead is that lots of things will change simultaneously it's not just that we are within striking distance of bringing aging under comprehensive medical control the big thing that's going to happen even sooner than that is the progress of automation, which will basically eliminate most of the things we currently have to do that we wouldn't do unless we were paid for it. You know, most of the jobs that we have. Now, that means there's going to be huge amounts of additional leisure time, and society will have to be considerably restructured in order to cope with that, in order to have, you know, equitable distribution of wealth and such, such like. In, a, in the context of a far lower requirement for people to actually have jobs. 
So, I mean, it, it's going to be a bit like going back again to the Industrial Revolution. We kind of dodged a bullet then because what happened was uh, we had full employment beforehand and then suddenly a huge number of jobs were eliminated by automation. Um, but we just coped with that, if you like, by inventing an entire new thing called the service sector, inventing a whole bunch of new jobs that nobody had before because nobody had time because there were other jobs that needed to be done that were highly time consuming. Now, that's not going to happen this time around as automation, you know, from artificial intelligence and so on really gets going because there's just no, no jobs that are necessary. There's only so many people you need in the entertainment industry and so on. So, um, so that means that the question that you're asking about uh, people looking forward to retirement, people not being educated enough to make the most of what opportunities life has to offer, these things will, these things are real problems, but they will confront us before the kinds of therapies that I'm working on actually come along. That, that's really interesting because I was actually going to, what we just said there, it'll come before these obviously technologies of aging do come along. But I was actually thinking in my head, what if there could be a scenario that plays out where actually environmental and um, social like technologies actually fall behind aging because it seems to be that obviously in the, in the world at the minute a lot of like um super rich people are actually trying to like put like seems to me that they're, they're putting a lot more emphasis on on like the origins of like aging and things like that and obviously a lot of the times in the system obviously uh, it's the money that generates sort of like the movement as well so i was actually thinking it could be a time where uh, environmental and social technology actually could fall behind aging could you think that could be a possibility it could be I mean, I certainly feel that one of the biggest tragedies right now is that people are continuing to keep their heads in the sand and not really take into account the possibility that aging might, you know, the, the days of aging might be numbered. Uh, because the fact is, we do need to do a lot of planning. We do need to do a lot of anticipation of what's going to face society as these therapies come along of what people's priorities are going to be and so on and yet the fact is people are so petrified of i guess really getting their hopes up you know um and uh, uh, getting into the impression that these therapies are going to come along in time for them and then they don't um that they won't refuse to think about it at all they, they prefer to continue in the delusion that this is never going to happen yeah, definitely. I, I completely agree with you. I don't think we should go down that route, but I, I just definitely think we should be like, obviously, obviously we should just be aware of all angles as well, because I think it's really interesting conversation to have all these different angles. But it's something I was thinking about as well. Like, let's say we like increase the lifespan by like, say, like 300, 500, or even a thousand years ago. I was, I know we touched on this a little bit before, but I was actually thinking like, how does that, how does that change the way that people approach life? That would really change like the mindset of humanity. I mean, just even if I look back at my life now, um, like even just the last year, like over a period of a year, like when I'm looking back at my life, I've achieved more wisdom and I feel like I could just, if I had an extra hundred years, I was thinking in my head, like how much wisdom and more knowledge could like actually accumulate over that time. And I think I that's, was actually thinking, yeah. But it's, but it's important not to overstate that because the fact is people don't by and large think long term when they set their priority. You know, I like to compare it with going to the toilet. You don't have a plan or a preference for what time you're going to go to the toilet next Sunday. And the reason you don't is because you, you're going to have better information on the topic nearer the time and you're going to be able to act on that information. But most people, you know, they decide what to do on the basis of their reasonably near-term preferences and priorities. Um, you know, another example is the first time you've ever had sex. 
you know, what was going through your mind? It was probably not, oh my God, oh my God, I have to get this person into bed right now because I've only got another 60 years to live. It definitely wasn't that. <laughs> um, Mine was. So, <laughs> um, so, so you get the idea, right? I mean, uh, it probably won't change people's mindset all that much. There may be some things that change. There may be some very long-term goals, like, you know, going to the stars or whatever, that will become realistic when they were not realistic before. But most of the goals that we have, most of the things that preoccupy us, will be just the same things that they are already. Mm, definitely agree. And I think even it doesn't even be on the grand scale of 300 to 500 to 1,000 years. I think even just changing the system up by even adding 10 years of, to someone's life to a healthy existence. Imagine people feeling in the 40s when they're already in the 80s and 90s. I think that could completely transform the entire world on a grand scale. So I think actually, yeah, I mean, it, it remains to be seen. I mean, of course, if you look at what's happened over the past 50 years, longev average longevity has actually risen quite a lot in, across the whole industrialized world. And, um, you know, healthy longevity has also done so. People are much healthier at the time that they reach retirement age today than they were when they reached retirement age 50 years ago. So... You know, but we haven't seen it. It's happened rather gradually, and therefore, you know, it's kind of been hidden, hidden in plain sight. You know, we've just um, adjusted and got used to it as time goes on. What's going to be different this time is that it's all going to happen overnight. Yeah, Aubrey. Something I wanted to let raise and ask you a question was: I was actually wondering how do you think we'll how do you think we'll actually get to that point of like sort of longevity and even even the possibility of more uh, immortality where we can extend life? Because there's actually a lot of people talking about how we can actually in the future we're going to. Actually bypass like the, the biological standpoint and i was actually wondering like do you see us like extend extend our life in this existing body or even like a synthetic body or where we even transfer consciousness even as well or or do you like see us becoming like, even virtue in something like virtual reality where we're actually the conscious our consciousness is being transferred that way there's loads of possibilities yes there certainly are loads of possibilities and quite a lot of people are talking about this this idea about how uh let, let, let's let's be very general here. Our non-biological solutions to various medical problems will incre become increasingly broad, increasingly comprehensive, and perhaps reach the um, the ultimate limit where we, as you say, we transfer uh, personality, our consciousness, into completely different hardware. Um, which is with something called uploading. This is not crazy. It could, it's perfectly conceivable, but certainly it's not conceivable for quite a long time in, into the future. And we have to ask ourselves whether it would really be necessary. The very boring, you know, um, uh, wet version of, of that, of just you know, maintaining the body in its current form, is something that obviously we work on, and I believe that we will essentially achieve it um, within the next couple of decades, with high probability, of course we could be wrong, but I think we've got a very good chance. Um, which means that the motivation for doing anything more dramatic, you know, like shifting ourselves into different hardware, um, will greatly diminish because our existing hardware will be doing the job. And, um, you know, there may be other motivations that some people may have for continuing to pursue that approach, but I don't think it's going to be necessary and I don't think it's going to be all that um, high a priority in the long run. Yeah, that's very interesting because I was actually thinking, like, even any transition, like, sort of from, like, a biological standpoint to even, like, up air uploads or uh, transferring our consciousness to a machine – that'll still have great impacts on your work. And obviously that would be like sort of like really evident to say that obviously the, like the potential of what that could, how that could even affect uh, aging, like all these different avenues as well. 
Yeah, sure, absolutely. I mean, of course, uh, uh, um, in different hardware, aging would either not exist at all or it would be a very different character. But, you know, I'm a first things first kind of guy. I'm just thinking about what needs to be done right now. Something else I want to touch on with you as well. Um, this is pretty like a, um, a philosophical question, but I wanted a reason to see your thoughts. Quite a deep question this, but I was actually wondering, like, why do we actually only get like a limited time on this uh, on this planet? Because in comparison, like, if you look at the universe, it seems that we're just like a, a cosmic like drop. Are we actually meant to live forever? That's a, like a really, it's a deep question, but it's just one I keep asking. Yeah, well, I don't keep asking it. I think it's actually a rather pointless question. I think really the, um, the it comes back to what I was saying earlier about people's priorities being fundamentally short term. We don't really think in terms of how long ago we were born when we decide what to do today or what to do next year. We think about our future. And I think that's how it ought to be. You know, I mean, um, let's talk about suicide hotlines. Okay, like the Samaritans. Okay, I've never rung one of those things. But I'm fairly sure that if you do, the first question they ask you is not your date of birth so that they can put the phone down if you're over 80, right? So, you know, the point is if you're, if you're physically and mentally healthy, then life has a lot to offer. And that's really all it amounts to. It's not about how long ago you were born. Yeah, that's really interesting when you said that. Is it a question that we should be asking? Because obviously I've, I've, been, I've been thinking that in my head all the time and I actually think it is a question we should be asking because... Obviously, I don't think that everyone should go through life having like a cancer or a disease, something like that. But I think maybe death could just be like this, like this cycle in a way, the way the universe works. Like it's just a, the process of death could be actually an important part that we may have to honour, and we just actually we don't really understand the process. And I was actually thinking, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that's basically philosophical bullshit to put people out of to put, to put aging out of people's minds. I don't think it has any merit whatsoever. That's interesting because I, because I was actually thinking I was, through my experience and obviously in the human experience, I was actually thinking maybe the process of death is just a human concept and it's just because of the unknown of death. It actually makes like people that don't want to like experience it because they really the re- people really are scared of the unknown. People are certainly scared of the unknown, and there's nothing wrong with fear of the unknown. Um, but there's also nothing wrong with addressing one's fear of the unknown by avoiding the unknown. In other words, by sticking to what we do know, by keeping us ourselves healthy. And that's the way I'm going. That's, in, that's interesting. I, I, I respect your opinion. I, I think it is. It's good because I like when when other people say other stuff as well. I really, I really do respect it because yeah. I like seeing other people's point of views, how they like view the world, and I, I really do respect that. But I was actually wondering, um, could like changing our like our bio, biology, let's say. To live forever actually have an effect on um, like future gener- generations. Yeah, certainly it will. I mean, uh, apart from anything else, it's quite likely that future generations will be rather smaller. I mean, smaller in number, not in not in stature. Um, uh, I, I mean, if we look at what happens, what's happening today, uh, we see that in societies around the entire world, with I think the sole exception of Israel, um, whenever a society reaches a certain level of prosperity and you know female emancipation and education and so on um fertility rates plummet you know women have far fewer children now you one may think well hang on if people are going to live a great deal longer and they're going to remain fertile which they will um then um surely that will change that women will start having more children because they'll have longer to have them but what we also have to remember is that at the same time as a society undergoes this transition to having fewer children. Also, it undergoes a transition where the average age at which women have their first child rises. Now, of course, at the moment, it only rises a little bit because 
when they want to have, by and large, want to have children sometime, and they've got this deadline called menopause. But if menopause no longer exists, that means that women will have the option to delay having their first child a lot more, you know, a lot more. Um, and that may actually even um, slow down the rate at which uh, children are actually born. So we may be in a society in which there are not nearly so many children around. Well, I kind of didn't really, sorry, I kind of really didn't expect that type of answer. But um, yeah, it does actually put a lot of thoughts into your mind. Like if we could actually alternately change our lifespan, then yes, women won't be under so much more pressure to actually produce children at a, at a certain age or a set age especially That's right. oh, I was going to say especially under the conditions of like um, of the elder um, you have a child the more likely any problems will occur and I think if you likely take the occurrence out of a child then a woman's mindset might be well I can actually just enjoy myself for a, a short exp- for the like this so called um, part of my life and then I could have children so that, like it will like limit the the mindset of um mm-hmm. of let's have a child quickly. It's really really interesting point, and I didn't actually think about that sense. Yep, I was thinking as well before as well when you when we, I touched a little bit on like how will it affect future generations, and you were talking about like children and things like that. I was actually thinking in my head there, right, because it seems to be that the the human body is very it's a very we know it's a very adaptive system and. In a way as well, I think it sometimes has these like evolutionary mechanisms built with inside of it as well. And I was actually thinking if we can get to a point where we are working on aging and we can like alter our biology, I was actually wondering could our children actually already be born with this like altered ex- life expectancy? Well, that's certainly you, you see, it's 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 not really very um, um, accurate to think in terms of life expectancy as something that's built in. Um, at the moment, yes, it is. At the moment, there are certain types of damage that the body does to itself that are completely non-negotiable. Um, you know, a, a huge amount of aging comes down to breathing. Breathing is something that, like, creates free radicals, which are toxic reactive molecules that damage DNA and so on. And the fact is, you know, you've got to do breathing. You can't really get, get away without it. So even though it's really bad for you in the long run. Um, and, that, and that's going to carry on being the case. But... The reason why it's not really accurate or profitable to think about things that way is because our life expectancy at the end of the day is not determined by purely intrinsic biology. It's determined by our environment, by our exposure to disease, by our exposure to road accidents, and also, of course, by our exposure to medicine, by our access to medicine. So, um, you know, the, the, the right way to think about it is simply that society has all of these um, tools, these technologies available to allow people to stay healthy and alive for longer than we used to. That's interesting though. I was actually wondering we had there is because I isn't is it, I don't know, I'm not too sure, but is it not true that like sort of um like aging can also be effective like um like your hereditary response, sort of like genetics? Yes, but that's a bit of a distraction really, because all we're talking about there is a difference of a few years plus or minus in terms of the um, how, how long you can be expected to live. So yes, I mean, it's better than nothing. You know, some people live 10 or 15 years longer than other people, but we're not talking about that here. We're talking about eliminating the problem entirely because the problem itself, the nature of the damage that the body accumulates throughout life is exactly the same 
irrespective of your genetics. It's only the age at which that damage reaches a life-threatening or um, health-threatening level that is somewhat influenced by genetics. Mm. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. Um, it's a really interesting concept on both sides. It's it's beautiful to listen to. And Aubrey, um, something I would actually like to wonder is, in how is consciousness and people's perceptions in the mind going to change like throughout the life if if they know they're going to um, be a lot more healthier and a lot more like the longevity might will occur? Well, do you think that people will attack life? So I think again, this is a rather a rather boring topic because I don't think it's going to change at all. I think that. You know, people are going to continue throughout their life um, in the expectation that they're going to remain healthy indefinitely. Today, we don't think we're going to remain healthy indefinitely, but we do think we're going to remain healthy for the next decade or two or three, depending on how old we actually are at the time. And um, that's, that's, for practical purposes, identical. It, 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 it's, it's what determines what we do. Yeah, it's, it's definitely it's it's, it's um, the whole concept of the um, current reality that we're seeing. To be honest, and this is this is actually is a beautiful um, point, and and yeah, I, I think as well, Aubrey, like your work as well, it's going to actually it's going to be the key to um, to the future because in future when we are like wanting to expand um, and leave this planet, um, it, when we're in space, our bodies will de- um, get so much more weaker and kind of cell production will actually have to be like the key to actually um transcend into space because our bodies will get so yeah I, I i know there's a lot of talk about leaving the planet but i'm not actually sure that it's going to happen i mean of course the, the, the occasional person may go and leave the planet you know there are, we always have explorers but in terms of mass migration into space the fact is space is a nasty place to be and down here is quite a nice place to be. And if we can therefore use technology to ensure that down here stays a nice place to be and that we don't mess up the planet with, you know, um, uh, pollution of one sort or another, then we're going to prefer that. We're just going to prefer what we you have know, to stick to what we know. And of course, that's exactly what's happening. Other technologies are coming along that are bringing uh, pollution under control whether it's, you know, renewable energy and carbon sequestration and so on to, um, to reverse climate change or whether it's, um, you know, uh, self-driving cars to make sure that we don't get hit by trucks on the street or, um, you know, uh, changing the way we do refrigeration so as to protect the ozone layer. All of these things are happening now. And those things will, I believe, bring a tendency to pollute the planet under sufficient control that we have stability down here and we won't need to do any of this space business yeah that's very interesting because uh take a look into the future there uh, the earth is going to like sort of die that's obviously inevitable and when you said obviously we're not uh, going to mass hang on, hang on hang on hang on hang on who said that was inevitable that what that the earth's not going to die yeah if it's if it's um if it's a virtual reality it won't no, I'm talking about real reality. Who says that we can't preserve the planet just as well as we can reserve, preserve our bodies? But, but what if the scenario comes where we can't do that? Because then we would have to migrate? Exactly. But, as I say, we have to cope, We have to use whatever technologies we have available to us at the time to cope with whatever happens. So, yes, I mean, there's always the possibility that some star might explode nearby and, you know, vaporise the planet. 
Um, but the fact is, that's a relatively unlikely event. You know, supernovae do not happen very often. And there are various other things that could happen that could make the planet uninhabitable. But most of the things, that, in fact, pretty much all the things that have much chance of making the planet uninhabitable happen gradually with a lot of warning, which allows us to adapt and to you know, develop technology to, to, to subvert and preempt the thing that was going to happen and keep things ticking along just the way they are now. That's very interesting because there's a lot much more intelligent people than myself studying the science of the planet becoming uninhabitable. And um, Stephen Hawking actually made a statement um, a few months ago saying that the planet is heating up and Earth's population is expanding at this exponential rate. And he was talking about how the natural resources that are vital to our survival are running out faster than we can replace them with sustainable alternatives. And he was talking about how it's a certain certainty that, our, that the aging sun will expand and swallow the earth in a roughly about 7 billion years, he said. But I certainly do respect your opinion and I hope you are right. But something else I wanted to touch on was accessibility of the cure of anti-aging in the future. And this is a very interesting topic to touch on because will the cure actually be accessible to everyone or will it just be the super rich? That's a very important question. And luckily, it's a question that could be answered very straightforwardly. The reason it can be answered straightforwardly is because there are two, not just one, two motivations for making this technology available, irrespective of ability to pay, to everyone who is old enough to need it as soon as it becomes available, as soon as it becomes developed. Um, the first one is the sheer humanitarian imperative, the fact that, you know, it's it's the most important thing to people. People are just, you know, it's going to be, you're not going to get elected unless you have a manifesto commitment to do that. But you may think, and so, and some people may say, well, that's a little bit utopian, maybe it's a little idealistic, maybe the world is not quite as generous as that. But then we move on to the second reason. And the second reason is a purely mercenary economic one. Aging as it exists today, when we don't have the technology to avoid it, is incredibly, astronomically expensive. It costs the most insane amount. What happens at the moment is that perhaps 90% of the medical budget of the industrialized world goes on the diseases and disabilities of old age. And not just that, of course, there's also all the indirect costs. The fact that the kids of the elderly are less productive because they've got to look after their sick parents. The fact that the elderly are no longer contributing any kind of wealth to society because they're not in a fit state to do so. You know, it's, it's just insane. And that means that from a purely mercenary economic perspective, it would be suicidal, economically suicidal, for any country not to do, make the investment to keep its population healthy irrespective of chronological age. Of course, this is counterintuitive because if you look today at high-tech medicine and you say, well, okay, is it available? Of course, by and large, high-tech medicine for the diseases of old age is not. It's only available according to ability to pay, even in countries with a national health service. Um, but that's because it doesn't work. That's because this medicine only modestly postpones the ill health of old age and then we end up with the economic costs that we would have had anyway. So the economic arithmetic is not in favor of making this more available. The right analogy 
if, uh, if we want to look at the idea of medicines for the elderly that actually do work, the right analogy is basic education. Basic education, even in a country that really doesn't like taxation, like, for example, the USA, um, it's free for everybody. And the reason it's free for everybody is the mercenary economic argument. If you don't educate your workforce, your kids, then 20 years down the road, you're going to be bankrupt. Mm. Aubrey, um, would it be like a choice for humanity on who would do this? I don't think so. You know, do people make a choice whether to go to hospital when they get sick? No, they don't. Everyone wants to be healthy. Nobody wants to get sick. So it's going to be just like any other medicine. Mm. Hopefully, it'll probably actually revolutionise the whole industry of um, healthcare and will actually completely change the whole system, to be honest. Well, it will in some ways. I mean, the big thing that we will see is that there will be much more emphasis on prevention, on people actually, uh, you know, um, taking advantage of medical technology when they're not yet sick. By and large today, that doesn't happen very much. It happens a bit, and it's already, you know, edging in that direction, but it doesn't happen nearly enough. In the future, we won't get sick. And the reason we won't get sick is because we will be completely comfortable with maintaining our health at peak performance by uh, accessing, if you like, preventative maintenance technologies um, that will keep us in, 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 in full performance, both mentally and physically, um, however long we live. And that will be a big psychological shift. But the main shift will be a psychological shift on the part of society. It won't really be all that much of a shift on the part of the medical profession itself. Um, Aubrey, how, how close do you think we are to achieving this? Well, of course, this is pioneering technology. And so any kind of prediction of time frames is, I've got to emphasize this, it's extreme speculation. But I do personally feel that I have a responsibility to make some kind of prediction because even if my prediction is very speculative, it's going to be better than yours. It's going to be better than most people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, I think that we have a 50-50 chance of getting this technology or this panel of technologies to a decisive level of comprehensiveness, something that I've called longevity escape velocity, um, within the next 20 years or so. I think there's at least a 10% chance that we will hit a whole bunch of new problems that we don't know about yet and we won't get there for 100 years. But that's fine. You know, a 50% chance is quite enough to be worth aiming for. Yeah, it certainly isn't. I think humanity really is um, in desperate state for, for this um, this whole work to come out and on a grand scale. And I think when we do, we're really going to be in, in this new world of existence and it's going to be so much beautiful when it's all upon us. Aubrey, I'd just like to thank you so much from uh, me and Dan today about yeah, you, you, so you coming much. on to the podcast. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Aubrey. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast and a big thank you to Aubrey for coming on to the podcast. Please go to his website and check out his work. And we would love to hear your guys' feedback on this one. Is this a topic that needs to be looked at from a philosophical standpoint or should we just carry on with the work and leave it up for a future generation? Or could it be the combination of the two? Anyway, thanks for listening and you can now support the podcast via our Patreon page. And if you don't know what Patreon is, Patreon supports the podcast directly and you also get to receive some really cool rewards in the process. Currently, we have five tiers of rewards for you guys. We have reward tiers called Hidden Citizens, Pursuit of Knowledge, Seeker, Awakened Minds, Enlightened Ones in the Paradigm Shift, 
and each tier has lots of fun different rewards. You might get a cool binaural beat or guided meditation every month. And why not be a part of our brand new Ascend Conscious Hub, where you get access to other awakened minds, including me and Chris, and guests from the podcast. And we've also got a cool challenge book we will send you each week called the Legendary Self-Development Obstacle Course, with loads of challenges to enlightenment. And this is all extremely simple. All you need to do is go to the Send Podcast website, click on the Patreon page, and click the Patreon link, and support the podcast. Patreon gives you, the people, the power to come together and decide, is this a conscious idea? So anyway, we'll catch you next week in the next episode, where we have an absolute epic podcast with two of our favourite guests of all time, Matt Belair and Michael Sanders, and we go deep. Catch you next week. Peace.